Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Adulting Well listeners. This is Pepper, a.k.a. Joshua, a.k.a. Pepper, here to tell you about Anchor. So we used to host our podcast on another service, and we had this show for maybe three or four years at this point. And we got some metrics and things, but we didn't have a lot to do with them. And we recently switched over to Anchor. And what's amazing about it is it has all the metrics for the show, so you can see you know, how many downloads you get and things like that. But it it also lets you engage with the audience uh, in ways that our old service couldn't. So for instance, we can have polls, we can ask listeners to uh, leave us messages and questions and things like that. And we can uh, put them on the air super easily and answer those questions. Just, uh, that's just one example, but there are just a lot of different ways that we can um, engage with you now that we're using Anchor. So uh, This is our first ad, and it's for this service that we're using to provide this podcast to you. And I think it's uh, actually a really, really good service. Um, And if you have a podcast, I recommend it. You can download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Uh, Thanks for uh, pausing with me for a second. Now back to the episode. (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. That's not a gnome. That's totally you, Makai. And then he like cornered me after we played and we talked for like, well, it seemed like two hours, but it was probably 15 minutes. Um, But he had, he basically quizzed me on like our songs and stuff. I think that he had just read the MRR interview, but it was very cool to discover that he was actually like, he's not an idol that I have to kill um, (laughs) because I've been so disappointed with other idols of mine um, that I, like punk idols that I've met. And so he proved all that wrong. So I was really happy about that. He was the guy at the basement party who actually goes up and dances for the bands that he likes, like up near the front and just like is rocking out and being awesome and like not being a jerk in any way. It's like, whoa, okay. I can't even tell you like, yeah. Kevin, buddy, I think that story is a great way to start the show. What do you think? Let's yeah, let's get into the show. All right, let's kick into it. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Adulting Well Podcast. I am your co-host, Joshua, and I am joined, as always, by... Kevin, your co-host, and we have Megan March and John No on tonight, and there's just a, too many things to list between the t- two of you, so I'm going to jump right into it. We were just talking before we started recording about you all playing in D.C., the Street Eaters, so let's let's start with that project a little bit and... Maybe you can just kind of relate some of the stuff you were telling us because it's a it's a great story. 
and it totally sums up like what we're all about, quite honestly. Oh, cool. Sure. I mean, we were on tour in 2017 supporting uh, The Envoy, uh, which had just come out that year. And a friend of ours had booked a basement show at his house. And it was one of those like rainy days. I think there was like local flooding. We were like, oh, well, the show's totally doomed, but it's going to be really fun, whatever. And um, do you want to take it from there? No, no, go on. I'm like, I'm liking hearing what you're saying about it. (laughs) (laughs) The show was doomed, basically. Um, Yeah. And so we we set up and uh, exactly. We started playing and there was like, you know, 15 people and it was like a very cozy basement show. And then a couple songs in, you know, we're just doing our own thing and we're in our own world. And then a couple songs in, we looked up and there were, it was a very, like, even more cozy situation. Um, And uh, yeah, solid, nice packed basement. Good, good time. Like, whoa, okay. It was like, it was a nice basement. It was like one of those movies in the eighties where everyone showed up at the exact same time. Totally. Like they all got the message. Um, and so it was like, oh, okay, this is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so we're playing and then, um, one of, I was borrowing someone else's kit and, uh, just to like, you know, make the show go quicker. And then, uh, one of the floor Tom legs starts slipping. Uh, and I was like, fuck, (laughs) I look up and this like gnome figure was like fixing it. I was like, oh, awesome. I can keep playing. And then I like looked a little bit closer and did a double take and I was like, oh, that's Ian Mackay um, fixing in my drums. <laughs> that's amazing. That's so, yeah. that's so like, good. <laughs> it's super punk. Um, I mean, it just and... basically lives up to every single possible story I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, it yeah. definitely made me feel at home, you know, um, and around friendlies, you know. Yeah, and then you went upstairs, right, and uh, to to work the merch after we'd played and hang out, and and he uh, he came up and immediately went to the table for you, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, he totally cornered me and then started quizzing me about like the different concepts that we had in our songs, um, and it was a really extensive. That must have been like amazing a- <laughs> to have him ask you about your songs. Yeah, I, you know, it was also I was totally nervous. Um, I, and you know, at the time I was like, I don't know why I'm so nervous. It's just another punk and he's just being really sweet and is like, you know, excited about music that we're doing. And if anything, that's like, that's the greatest thing, you know? Um, but I definitely felt put on the spot in probably one of the best ways. Yeah. He was, he was really nice. He, uh, he bought all our stuff, which was really sweet. And just, we had a good, good chat with him and hung out for a while and, um, I should also say that he like paid for all of it too. Cause so, so often like when there's, you know, some older punk dudes, like, you know, who people know if they're interested, they just kind of like come up and they schmooze records off of you. And I'm not going to go into names of people who have done that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say. If you live in the Bay Area, you probably know who we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. You probably Me? know who oh, we're I talking could, about. I don't have any no. idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've never worked a merch uh, table, so I've never seen that at all. Right. Never. Um, but yeah, he was, he was a really stand up person. Um, and it was a pleasure to get to talk to him and it was definitely something that we weren't expecting. Well, yeah. He was definitely the guy that dances in the front 
for all the bands that he's he's into at the show and like really so rocks out and was just super just super nice and it was a really nice it was a nice encounter and uh yeah our friend carney whose basement it was and whose uh band would played right before us and his kit we were using were really sweet people and awesome band and we and he, played with puff pieces and too. puff pieces we played after yeah. but um carney was like oh yeah it's that's ian he's just you know he's the shows that's awesome yeah and I think I was mentioning before, too, just how relieved we were, or at least like, it was nice for me to meet a, you know, a punk idol that I didn't have to kill. Yeah. He was someone who like actually lived up to, you know, I think his own reputation in a lot of ways. I mean, granted, I've, I got to hang out with him for just a little bit, but um, I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of character. Well, I, mean, I was about yeah. to say that says a lot about you, too. You yeah, know, that, that's <laughs> right. that's pretty cool. I mean, one of the things I read about him, and this is, was true, I used to book a lot of shows when I was younger up in Santa Rosa, and we had Discord bands come through pretty regularly. And they, when they stayed with me, they always, like, you'd get up and they were doing the dishes in the morning. They were those bands, you know? Right. And that's, totally. like, I, I just, that's, for me, touring and having toured and had a lot of bands stay with me over the years, like, you know, you all seem like those kind of people, too. Like, if you came and stayed at our house after a show, it would be like areas all clean you're you know and that's for me that's like it's like not, not like those fat records kids <laughs> let's not touch that but um one of the things that we usually ask and i think it's you know both of you you know it's 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 amazing that you live together or married now have a child together and you write songs and play together i mean obviously there's a like a deeply you know like strong like affection and friendship and partnership and, and all this to make that happen. But, you know, I just want to roll it back a little bit um, and ask how each of you got into the punk scene. Cause that's always an interesting story. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a Should big... we go in order of appearance? <laughs> Either way. <laughs> age before beauty. Age before beauty. Um, well, yeah, that's a good question because it, it's uh it's, it's a misty past to some extent, but you know, I mean, not that misty, whatever. I mean, I was in, I was a teenager in the early nineties. And I think I was at a spot where I was, I was just a little bit too late for the year that punk broke and for all the uh, lookout explosion and all that stuff. I was like a couple years too late for that. I went to the same high school as, you know, a a bunch of the East Bay punk legends and stuff like that. No, uh, Pinole Valley. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Pinole Valley. So, uh, you know, there's like green day and people from Phil yeah, yeah. and Blatz and, you know I mean? Like all the, and, and like Shane from dead and gone. All Seriously. This, all this Bay right there. Yeah. Deep East Bay. <laughs> so, so there was a lot, um, so there's a lot of people around and it was, and they were all really nice to me. I mean, I remember like, you know, being a freshman or whatever and James Washburn being really nice to me with his torn up neurosis shirt and like, you know, all these people like got me, like interested in punk, but I mean, it was, I was a little, I was a little late that, that, that like ship of where all these bands were suddenly going into like a different place. Uh, like everything kind of exploded that kind of had sailed. So my whole perspective on punk from when I was a kid onward was more like, yeah, this is the stuff I like. Um, this is the culture and the feeling that I like. And uh, the, I don't expect much from it except for a real release and a real um, sense of kind of, uh, almost like a nihilist community that community like solidarity that we, that we all require and feed off of. There's like an energy to it. And it just, 
you know, the idea of it being, you know, like a career type thing seemed like that was something from another generation. Um, so I got into it. I got really, I mean, Blatz is probably my favorite band when I was like a teenager. I, was, I really liked things like Econo Christ. I remember like losing my shit, going to Gilman and seeing Huggy Bear, you know, and I liked all the big bands. I liked all that stuff. You know, I mean, it's in the East Bay and my, my cousin Liz would make me mixtapes and she was like this super badass, like first wave punk from the East Coast. How and old were you like, when you started going to Gilman? Uh, 16. Yeah, 16. Perfect. So not that young, not as young as some. Still pretty young. <laughs> yeah, pretty young. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, like a lot of the stuff that I got really, I really fell in love with musically. Like those are like the bands that they were like, our hometown bands and bands that we'd see, but like, you know, like, yeah, you know, I'd see a band like born against that I'd see once in a while and be like, Whoa, okay, this is next level stuff. And then like my cousin would make me these mixtapes and I'm like trying desperately, you know, pre-internet to find like subway sect and like wire records and like all these different bands that were, you know, just impossible to find at that point. Um, and I just feel like it was a nice kind of overview and got kind of made me fall in love with, with the whole picture of it, you know, I mean, obviously not everything. There was always stuff that was super, you know, super offensive and kind of on the cusp of being not so great, but um, the stuff that was good, it was really good. Yeah. And just, you know, kept going from there, I guess. Nice. Never stopped. Nice. Megan. <laughs> well, I had the good fortune of having a big sister who is 12 years older than me. And my parents had a real loose leash with us. And so basically the deal was that she could go wherever, do whatever she wanted, as long as she brought me with her. So that meant that um, I ended up going to Gilman. I went to a lot of punk houses. Um, and so I saw a lot of shows, but I wasn't really like watching the bands very much. I was more like just enthralled with all the people and also the energy, which was like the perfect place, you know, for, I mean, my sister says the first time she took me to a show of six, um, oh, you know, so it was, it was a long time ago. Um, but yeah. So and then later, really cool, really young. No, I was a really dorky kid, just like every other punk. <laughs> um, and I didn't get along with my parents too well. And so, um, when I was around 12 or so, I ended up going and living with my sister in San Francisco and um, she moved around to different places, but she was part of like the SF, uh, like queer punk scene. And so a lot of her friends were playing in bands like um, Tribe 8, uh, Cypher in the Snow, Instant Girl, Death Card 13. Um, and she was also involved with Club Commotion, oh, nice. which she always described as like the Gilman of San Francisco. But and she almost did every a lot show of was like, uh, was a benefit there i mean to some degree i'm <laughs> engaged played there a bunch of times when i was in engaged that's how i know that yeah oh, mm-hmm. yeah it was cool um when i was like there you know going to school and stuff she would print up my um papers you know uh for school on their like they, i think their offices were like across the street in a big brick building um and so mm-hmm. we just like hung out a lot um there i still drive by there and i get like chills yeah, it's it's, seriously great show. It was there. a special place. Played with Tribe Eight there, actually, place. talking about that that scene. Oh, cool. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's um, a good show. Engage mm-hmm. in Tribe Eight. Yeah. That's a really good show. We played with them a few times because we had similar um, 
everybody always asked both of us to play benefits. <laughs> so, cause they knew if we were in town and it was local, we'd do it. So it was kind of one of those easy, you know, siren was the same way. Like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, it's a benefit at epicenter. Okay. We're in, you know, so totally commotion yep. holds some really, really near and dear memories for me. That's awesome. I, we probably ran into each other and you were very young and I was, you know, your sister's age, I would guess. Yeah. Um, I definitely remember Jimmy Brewstis. Like he's known me since I was probably 10. Jimmy shot well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyways. And then I started uh, volunteering at Gilman when I was 12. And then um, started playing in bands when I was like, actually, I played in a band with my sister uh, around that time, but like actually played in my own bands when I was 14. And I think like, and at that point, I was living with my parents again, and because my sister moved to Spain. And um, it was a real culture shock for me, because I was used to living with her and her housemates who were like, a lot of fun. And also like, you know, very queer and part of the trans community. And um, very, uh, you know, positive, not in the like straight white male sense. And um, so for me, going back to like my other life was just kind of a culture shock and like trying to play music. um, Was that like being put back in a cage or something like that? Like you had seen like total freedom? Or, you know, what was possible, you know, and it was just kind of hard. I, I was also hanging out with older people. I was hanging out with right. my sister's generation. And so then coming, you know, coming back and trying to form bands, there were no other girls that wanted to play music. And so I was trying to form bands with, you know, boys who were my age. And it was just, it was a struggle, you know. To Were you playing drums then as well? No, I didn't start playing drums until I was 18. So it was basically like... As I was graduating high school, what is your mom? What's your mom like? What does she think about all this? Got to be honest with you, my mom and I haven't really spoken in about ten years. She was never really um, a parent around, so uh, my sister was like actually more of a parent than my parents were. Right. Um, so I don't think she thinks much about it Mm. um my dad however who ended up being a single father later on uh when i moved back um i remember coming home with my lip pierced and he thought that it was hilarious (laughs) but he he was really sweet he thought that gilman was great um he always said that he would come on nights when he knew i wasn't going to be there just so he could like check out the scene and see what i was into um, whether or not I believed him at the time, I guess is up for He was one of those Gilman dads just lurking in the back there. I hope so. I mean, I never got to see it for myself, but I would really like to think that. That's me now. <laughs> it's totally well, me now. I'm an 11 year old. So. Um, hey, you know, Gilman's for the kids. So I, actually, I think she, that's awesome. She's been there a couple of times. We went to, um, and my son, actually, my my young son has been there. He was at, um, at Murray's uh, Memorial. Um, oh, but my yeah. older daughter, actually, her first trip to Gelman was Sarah, Sarah Kirsch's memorial. So, oh wow! So I bring the kids when you know the old timers are there and it's quiet. You know, <laughs> um, I should bring them there for a show and just let them wear some earplugs. Car- Caitlin's been to a bunch, actually. She's actually okay. sat on stage behind me playing drums. So she's oh, she that's now awesome. plays like every instrument under the sun. So 
seems like there's a really decent crew at Gilman right now. Um, really responsive gr- group of kids who are just uh, kind of trying to keep the the spirit of it alive, which is which is awesome. And just doing their own thing with it. I mean, I hate saying keep the spirit alive sounds so. <laughs> It sounds cheese. No, they're doing their own thing, but it's rap. So you know what I mean. It sound, it's I mean, cool. Yeah, totally. And just even you saying that, John, it, it sounds to me like you know, like many of the people that we've interviewed, and and most of the people that I've been sort of attracted to in the punk community over the years, like you all have a very, you both have a very DIY ethic, and I know that you've um, been in other bands, so. Uh, Sure. The, yeah. the, the one that obviously comes to mind and, and many people would know is the fleshies. Um, yeah. And then uh, you, you've worked uh, maximum as well. So, um, you know, maybe fill in the gap a little bit and then we can talk about how the two of you met and sort of how this, the street eaters kind of formed. Whew. Well, we got a, there's, there's a, there's a long arc. Yeah. That's quite a, <laughs> Quite a question there. There's a long well, let's just start arc. with um, uh, what what you were doing before this project, each of you, and then and then we can go into the next stuff. So we'll keep it simple. So before Street Eaters, um, I mean, for me in the years prior to that, like I had been, like you're talking about with Fleshies, I'd been I've been pretty active with Fleshies since 1999 when the band formed. I mean, the band kind of formed as like a, uh, you know, just a, a hickey ripoff. <laughs> I mean, that was the basic, the general idea was, was kind of a hickey ripoff with like some, like almost like parody level, uh, hard rock to it, but we somehow spun it into something that made more sense. And we kind of put a lot of heart into it, I think, whether we meant to or not. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we did a lot. Um, we did a lot of touring. We put out a lot of records. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We, we were, completely incapable of understanding how to capitalize on it. So we just, you know, kept playing the same basements and the same stuff um, and like turning down a lot of other things because it didn't really appeal to us. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It still is a lot of fun. Those guys are like my family, but, um, and we, we do play together and still record periodically, but uh, I've been doing that for a while. And I was, um, I also played in a band called Harbinger with Egg, Robert Eggplant and, uh, and Aaron Comet Bus. And that was a lot of fun. Um, and then, uh, oh, cool. Okay. I'm glad you, glad you do. <laughs> what <laughs> does that little... band sound like? Um, what did it sound like? <laughs> what did it not yeah. sound like? Yeah. I think, uh, I think that Will who put out the record said that Eggplant's voice sounded, sounded a bit like D Boone, which I always thought was really cool. And I'll take that. Yeah, that's a so we can go that's a there. big compliment. Eggplant once called mm-hmm. Engage the Van Halen of hardcore. Hey, there we go. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I actually, huh. I took it. I was like, all right, I'll take that. Yeah, take take it. Take it to the bank I'm with not, that. But I couldn't. I'm, I could not play bass like Mike Watt. So I mean, I don't <laughs> think the, the analogy goes any further. But um, that was the first band I played bass in. And I always was interested in playing bass, and I kept on thinking about it. Um, and then later on, as time went by, I played in some other bands, um, played in a band called Triclops for a while, uh, like kind of a post-hardcore band. Larry uh, was in that band? Larry was in that band. That's right. There's a Sonoma County connection. It's true. It's true. Larry Boothroyd, um, the victim's family. And... That's right. That's right. And that, that was fun. Um, but I was singing in that band. This is all singing stuff. And so I kept on thinking about getting back to bass. I had always admired Megan's drumming. I always thought that she was a really great, great drummer. And when we kind of started dating and, you know, fell 
fell for hanging each other, out. hanging out, hanging out yeah. casually, hanging out and turned into <laughs> dating real quick. Um, and then, uh, which then turns back up, into hanging out real quick. It's amazing. Which, which then turns back into hanging out. <laughs> and then, so we, we were kind of like, you know, sniffing at it, like, you know, we should probably play together. And we talked about it for like, what, like a year or so? Year no, and a half? Here's what happened. Yeah. Tell me. Please. Here's what You're happened. I so I was like, John, we should jam. We should play together. It would be fun to have a band. And it was just always like some, you know, he was on tour all the time. Uh, it just wasn't happening. And then I was just like, hmm, you know what? We should not play together. I'm too busy. I don't have time. I can't make it work. And sorry. And then suddenly he really, really wanted to play with Wait, me. Wait a minute. Wait, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so we tried it and instead of and we didn't we were like well i guess i could play bass and obviously you're gonna play drums and i always loved her drumming i thought her drumming in before the fall was awesome and just really enjoyed her music and um so then i uh i just had the bass and we had we had an old bass of hers and i was playing it through her pvtnt that she had played bass through when she when you were like what four? my dad bought it for me when i was 14 when you were 14 and i was just like I didn't really know how to use it. I never really figured out how to use an app. So I just kind of like turned up the gain all the way and, and uh, thinking it was the volume and then just realized it just sounded so sick. It sounded so good. Just that dirty PV sound. And we started playing and I just started playing chords because I'd rather play chords. And we just kind of realized pretty fast, like we don't really need a guitar player here for now. So why don't we try this and see how it sounds? Well, the whole, the whole concept of the band too was to tour. Right. So we yeah. wanted to keep it like jam super econo so that we could fit everything into John's Toyota Corolla. Awesome. And yeah. <laughs> so everything had to fit in, you know, the backseat basically. Would you, uh, would you record like that or would you bring in other instruments? Yeah. Our, our original, uh, our early recordings were just, you know, one track. We didn't even really do overdubs. Yeah, it was super spare. Yeah. It was super, super spare. It was really minimal. It was like a very much a minimalist aesthetic for the whole thing. Nice. Um, but with like a lot of saturation and overdrive and like a lot of layered vocals because we were always adding on some wild vocal stuff. Um, just trying to fill in as much sonic space as possible. Did you switch to uh, pedals for overdrive at some point? So this is eventually what ended up happening because I was just going straight through the TNT. Eventually what ended up happening is that um, I started using bigger rigs because I just really wanted to do bi-amp stuff to really get like one that was more crunchy. Yeah. There's a little bit of overcompensation there. There's yeah. a little bit of overcompensation. <laughs> Yeah, louder so, so louder and like, yeah we may be two people but we got lots of amps all right yeah <laughs> totally. i went through some real weird phases of the bi-amp and at one point it was a tri-amp and so i was doing like but did megan also have one of those huge drum sets that like goes all the way around like uh you, you did have a 20 what was a 24 inch uh ride yeah that thing was such a mess <laughs> <laughs> yeah the cage you should have been playing in the cage there. yeah, oh, yeah. That would have been around. amazing, except then the Corolla would have been out of tour. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, we ended up getting different vehicles. We got, we got to pick things progressed. Yeah. We got a pickup truck, yeah. but I mean, you kick the shit out of your kit so loud anyway that honestly, I didn't think I could have competed unless I was as loud as <laughs> as I got. So, I mean, in the end, what I ended up doing was I got, you know, um, a two fifteen cab and uh like a 412 guitar cab and they use it use megan's music man with the 412 and then like these days i use an acoustic head with the with the 215 and uh, i just put that through a couple overdrives and like uh sometimes i use like a bluebeard uh like a bluebeard fuzz pedal for the, uh, 
for the guitar one. So yeah, you use that sun amp for a long time too. And I use a sun for years. Um, and Meg's, uh, yeah. And it's just, I've used a lot of Meg's gear, yeah. <laughs> but it was, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, there was like a one period when I had two PVTNT one fifties and like, uh, this like, like pv practice amp it screamed and it, mm-hmm. when it was sounding good it sounded amazing and when the electricity wasn't perfect it sounded like a swarm of angry bees but not in a good way <laughs> we confused so many sound people <laughs> yeah it was, it was pretty weird yeah. it was pretty weird but um we also are playing with guitar players now yeah. we're playing with, with joan on guitar uh these days and, well i saw you and she's killing play it. with oh, yeah. i was gonna save this question um but I saw you play with a guitar player at this mm-hmm. place called the Fillmore. Oh yeah, that's true. And oh, yeah, that was shows. Those shows. <laughs> so just, I mean, and I'm a local guy too. I grew up just north of here and spent many, many a week driving back and forth to see shows at the Fillmore. Um, mm-hmm. And um, how did it feel to be on that stage? Tell us, man. Please. You sounded I, awesome, you know, by the way. I'm gonna throw that in there. Thank you. That's really sweet of you to say. It was. It was like. Uh, I don't know. It's. I just. I really focused on focusing. You know. I mean, like when we play, I want to say that, like, like we can play for the, you know, the the audience, but it's really hard to do when it's a bigger venue like that. And I think, like, we kind of had to. Um, we played bigger venues in a, you know, on tour in Europe. And we'd also just gotten back from um, touring with screaming females. And so there were a couple bigger venues in there. Um, But, you know, I think it's really important to be able to play to, you know, 10 people in a kitchen or a living room and also to be able to play a bigger stage, you know, and it has to still mean something to you as you're doing it. And so I think that like, we had to kind of figure out how that would translate. And for me, at least, like I had to feel everything from the closest people to me, which were my band. Um, And also just kind of like imagine my friends out there. (laughs) And um, so for me, it was just, it felt like uh, being in a spaceship, I guess, with my band and it was it was a good experience. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. Um, it was, it was a fun time. And I, I feel like also just we, um, we've been lucky and also just like done a bunch of stuff. And I think we just had played so much too over the we years. We were just very, very like much a oiled machine at right. that point. You well, know? and so, we so how did it come did about? Like, who approached you to open those shows? Because that's, I mean. So for context, Joshua, you were one of the shows, I think, but it was, they played two of the Jawbreaker shows at the Fillmore. Oh yeah. In the, in, in October, like three years ago or something. Yep. Yeah. Two years ago, I think we, we, uh, well, we, we toured with, we toured with Forgetters for a few weeks, um, which, which was Blake's band. I saw saw all those shows too. So yeah, to the show. So you saw those shows. Yeah. And we toured with them in 2012 and that was partially because, we had played in New York. We were on tour in New York. We were touring around with Shell Shag and playing a bunch of shows. And we ended up um, playing a show. I think it was with Big Eyes and Sexy Crimes, yeah. right? And we're old friends with Caroline, uh, who played bass and forgetters. Oh, right. Her, 
her and Blake came to the show and saw us. Nice. Yeah, and they just decided they wanted to take us on tour, which was a huge, flattering, and awesome thing. And that so, tour was so much fun. It was a lot of like, fun. I oh yeah, that. I remember yeah. you guys now. That was great. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. That, that was kind of our our introduction to like you know. I think playing some of these shows that were a little more wild and big like that. Like, I mean, we had played a few, but it was like being on tour like that and doing that kind of stuff. And every night, every night. And it was a blast. And I mean, we know we got to do it a few other times, like with, with screaming females, for instance, we got to, to tour with them for a month and a half, which was a total blast. And that was not too long before the Fillmore, uh, the Fillmore shows. So I think we just, you know, to some extent we just get into the zone at this point and it just like, it just makes sense to to just bring it. It doesn't matter. I mean, this is the corny, the corny cliche, but it really genuinely doesn't matter whether you're playing for, you know, five people or, or, or 1500, yeah. you know, it's really like, you just do what you got to do. And we, and like Meg said, it's like a spaceship, you know, we're kind of like in this, we're in this zone and doing what makes sense to us. And, uh, it's just a really good time. Yeah. A spaceship know. where my drums sounded so good. That stage. Super- <laughs> yeah, it was a good sound. Well, also, really- as a fan, as a music fan in general, and you know, I I just am you know I love I love all kinds kinds of music. I mean, how we were listening to um, like Sanskrit chants earlier, you know, and cool. <clears throat> I I have to say, I've seen you know a lot of the sort of reunion shows, especially with those guys, just because of the, the business relationship I have with them. But the, that, those shows, those two shows, like it was so fun to see you all play and be so excited as well as just like, get it out there. Like it was really fun. Like a bunch of us were standing on the side. I don't know if you could see down in that little pit, but we were down on the floor part of the the stage not even up in the balcony area just like fuck yes like Aww. it was so fun i mean we had a really good time we had a really good time and jawbreaker was phenomenal yeah it was really they were on fire yeah it that was whole a- show was all good vibes it was so yeah. amazing there was some really powerful energy yeah, yeah uh, that really show is really- actually really special for me because it was the first show i went to after i quit drinking and i was my wife and it was just like wow. this whole like night for me but i remember like that at like that uh like there was this and because jawbreaker was back too there was just this energy in the room like that old friends had come Mm -hmm. together yeah and i think also like we you know we just felt very welcomed at that show um just you know because we had known blake for such a long time and it meant a lot that he had asked us to um, play those shows, you know, and they were just really welcoming and didn't have any strange attitudes or anything. It was, it was just, it felt very friendly. Adam was, yeah, Adam, real, I can, Adam was such a he was fucking pumped. <laughs> like he was so he was into you. Like I, like he, we talked about it a bunch afterwards. He's coming on this season. Finally, we've had, oh, we've had cool. the other two guys See, on and he's been like the, the, the lone holdout, um, just, Even though he's more local than the others. <laughs> Even though it's easiest for him. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Him and I have known each other for 30 years, so we've got a lot yeah. of history. It's a little different with – I've known the other guys too, but it's a very different dynamic because he, he basically has always been the business guy of the band. you know. Right, so, right. But I, that aside, I just want to say you, your performance in the guitar player was amazing. I know that 
they're not playing with the band anymore. And you have oh, Steve was great. Yeah, Steve was oh, awesome. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We're we're still very good friends, and um, yeah. yeah, we loved playing with him. I just want to say too, like I think one of the other things that uh, made that night's for you know both those shows so magical, I think, was the morning of um, the Tuesday show. I peed on a stick and found out that, <laughs> that I was pregnant. So yep. it was kind of cool because then later on we played those shows and it was neat thinking about like, wow, fuck, I'm pre- I'm playing on the stage at Fillmore pregnant and like, okay, this is definitely getting things off onto the right foot because this means like I don't have to stop doing what I'm doing. I can still be myself. I can still, you know, play music and, you know, do, do what I want. That's and, so cool. Uh, yeah. So totally. that was, uh, I think that's also why we were so stoked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was definitely a very exciting moment with that. Yeah. And everyone sure. was so confused. They're like, why is Megan not drinking? That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I remember, like, I think I remember actually we were talking to Adam about that, like re- semi recently. Oh yeah. It was at the Howard's and book fair. Yeah. And he just, just like, he just didn't quite get it at first. And he's like, wait, what really? And he just, and he just kind of like, you guys were so chill and so happy. We couldn't figure out why you were so happy. (laughs) Well, we're also kind of playing like, you know, this awesome show with Jawbreaker. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That doesn't suck. Yeah, that was a really good time. That whole month was really good. We like earlier too, we had, um, I don't know, you guys have heard the Envoy, right? The album we did that we were playing a lot of that material from. So that album has a lot of, um, interludes on it a lot of these a lot of these kind of textural uh symph- almost like symphonic kind of noise washes and like overlaid bass and like percussion stuff that's like mostly instrumental instrumental um, landscape instrumental soundscapes. <laughs> soundscapes i don't know you know we can <laughs> throw all kinds of adjectives at it but um you know i mean meg meg is really good at putting together that kind of stuff i mean she went to mills and got a you know music degree at mills so she's you know she's all up in that kind of avant-garde department and i'm happy to to try to play mills just cranks out geniuses it's crazy yeah 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 this is this is one of them sitting next to here so i'm lucky with that yeah that's a story if you ever want to hear it (laughs) we should but uh but we like earlier that month we had actually played um we actually went up to to oregon and we played uh a bunch of different sets of the of just the kind of instrumental wash stuff using like a uh a, a, a korg mm-hmm. like a korg yeah, monologue. like a korg monologue and some percussion and the bass and like some other and like some tape loops and wait, we... wait, wait just for the nerds out there uh what we did is we um were t- like recorded a continuous um sound on four different tracks onto a four track and so then while we were playing live i was able to turn up each track and create different textures at different points um, for the song. So, so part of our gear was a four track. Too. Awesome. And since it was uh, a theme of, you know, the whole album was a Ursula K. Le Guin themed concept record oriented around the dispossessed and left hand of darkness, those books, um, there's a lot of space involved because there's a lot of space travel in those books. And so the, the sounds that were being looped were actually the oscillations of the planets in the solar system um that nasa has public recordings of that we did a bunch of manipulations with and chopped up and made more wild oh my so god and then you're 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 using the spaceship metaphor to cope with being in the larger space as well it's like this whole space yeah theme. oh yeah I you're, thought right, you're right and the space where we, the space where we did that too was also large it was at the portland art museum 
And we were doing that opening up for um, the premieres of the Ursula K. Le Guin uh, documentary that Arwen Curry had worked on for a decade. And so we got to do that for a bunch of those sets at the Portland Art Museum, which was really, really neat. That's awesome. That's so cool. Josh is probably yeah, so we... happy right now talking about sounds and <laughs> I was just going to and... ask who did the art, the cover art for the Envoy. Yeah. Uh, well, um, it's basically kind of a collage of um, some original artwork that Ursula did of um, the two different planets and the dispossessed. So, well, this is the cover artwork for the Envoy. Oh, the cover work. I'm sorry, I thought we were so, talking about no, the cover the, the um, recording that we did for the tape. Oh the, yeah, no, that that's part stuff. of that. No, the the, the cover art for the Envoy was actually uh, Miriam Stahl. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so the one with the hand holding the, the person, like. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's Miriam. Miriam, oh, wow. did she's been on the show. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. She's I said, amazing. She's the best. She, she yeah. actually, yeah, she's actually like a super advocate for the show. She was one of the people pushing me to make sure that the two of you got on, and she awesome. introduced us to Dunstan from um, Chumbawamba. Oh yeah, yeah. He's cool. just, he's a nice guy. Yeah, he's he's. We tried to get him on this last weekend, but we had some technical difficulties. So, um, you know. But he's coming on. So I'm super excited about that. Awesome. I told him we were chatting and I'm like, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, so we didn't get so Megan's pre uh, Street Eaters, you know, like what she was doing right before you started this project. And it was mentioned, but we didn't we didn't elaborate. So you want to. Oh, right. Yeah. Get into that. Yeah. So I started playing drums uh, when I was 18, like basically on the cusp of getting out of high school, escaping. Um, I always wanted to play like I would sneak into the um, band room like in middle school and like just bang on the drums and then I was told not to do that Um, and I think the thing that's like hard about being able to get into playing drums is having the opportunity to like have the space to make noise and also have such a intrusive instrument Um, but yeah so I first started playing drums uh And at that time, um, I was briefly playing guitar for that band, Hers Never Existed. And it was right as that band was like kind of falling apart. And I was like the high school kid that just sort of came in at the end of it. And um, so that band stopped using their practice space and I just kind of took over the lease for it. And my friend um, Ben Ditch, who I met at Gilman, Um, him and I started jamming. And um, so that was our very first, my very first band of playing drums uh, was called Before the Fall. And um, what'd you guys sound like for a long time? Well, let's just say my friend Ben was really into Crimp Shrine. (laughs) (laughs) I have no problem with that. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, it was very like, East Bay punk. Except I, I think you guys actually sounded more mission punk than East Bay punk. Well, that's, I think how things progressed. Yeah. Um, we played mission records a lot. What would you say uh, is the difference between East Bay punk and mission punk? Oh, good question. Good I, question. You got yourself into this. Yeah. Um, I think, it, I think it's the, whether you're trying to get tighter or whether you're careening towards total destruction while you're high on like 70 different drugs. Perfect. Sorry for the interruption. <laughs> no, we were, weird. We were pretty lit a lot of the times. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It was awesome. Um, And yeah, we played with Fleshies a bunch and uh, we recorded. We went on several disastrous tours, which were a lot of fun. Um, 
so yeah, before the fall was great. And I'm still really good friends with Ben. And we had several different bassists uh, during the life of that band. Um, and then after that, I would say like the other band of note um, would be Wild Assumptions that I sang mm-hmm. and played guitar in. So I was the um, songwriter for that band. And um, was that easy to get out in front, like to get out from behind the drums and in front like that? Um, I don't, you know, that's a good question. Like I first started playing guitar before drums. And so for me, it was kind of like, this is, I need to get my songs, you know, like Mm -hmm. I need to play my songs and sing them. Um, And I was also trying to um, really geek out on playing guitar. Um, But I think because of the way I was in, um, like most of the bands I've played drums in, I've also kind of been like a co-front person, uh, at least in Before the Fall, like it was like Phil Collins. Very much, yeah, let's go with that. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it wasn't too. I mean, one of the difficulties I think I did have with Wild Assumptions is like I really am into collaborating and um, not necessarily like telling people what to do. Hmm. And so, since they were my own songs, like it was kind of hard for me to like be like, no, why don't you try playing it like this? I just was into however people did right, it and right. maybe that's just kind of the beauty of it too um but yeah it's it's definitely a different I think people it's it shouldn't be but people expect different things from you when you're in a different uh position in a band I, I, I actually oh, yeah, completely sure. agree I, sure. I and I, yeah. I relate to that a lot because I feel like I've I've been more of a collaborator and I play drums other than engage in every band I've been in and mm-hmm. I, I always want to like be involved in the songwriting, you know, I don't want to just like sit back and, you know, and okay, bring me the tunes and let's go. And, and some drummers are into that yeah. too. You know, they, they want to be able to lay back and do that. And that's cool too. Oh, totally. Totally. But it, you know, it just, it, it's always, and I'm, you know, as Joshua can tell you, cause he's actually done a couple of short stint projects with me. I'm, you know, I'm definitely type A and I, I have opinions about things. <laughs> um, I'm in a very opinionated band right now, which has been interesting because you know awesome. there's a lot of strong energy. Okay, well, in that. What's what's that? Kevin? I I quit that band because I Chuck and I disagreed about how a song should go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, maybe we should be interviewing you guys. Yeah, well, that's all. That some sometime we'll interview each other and and talk about once once we get a few more followers on on the podcast, right? Um, so you were, in, you're in siren too. Though, I was in right? siren. Yeah, I played I drums in that siren. story. Yeah. That must've been anyway, Yeah. That was, uh, oh, well, oh. Brian, you know, Brian zero and I are still like, we still talk almost once a week. So oh, wow, wow. we're, we're still wow. super tight. Um, and we, we, we've gotten together a few times over the years to do like benefits and we did a memorial for Miriam, his sister, when she passed away. So, oh, that's awesome. um, but so real quick, just you know, and I know we, we usually try to keep it to like between 45 minutes and an hour. Um, but I'm having so much fun. It's kind of like, <laughs> let's keep talking all night. Um, I know. And, and, uh, we're Joshua and I have been texting each other. This is just gold. Like we're having so much fun with the two of you. Um, so we didn't talk about maximum rock and roll. So oh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, we both have volunteered yes. at Maximum Rock. Yeah, yeah. 
Like we both spent 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 our spent plenty of time at MRI. Yeah. <laughs> well, you did a bunch of uh, record reviews, right? Yeah, I was really into doing record reviews for a long nice. time. Nice. And what was your record review technique again? You had a specific technique. Oh, I for a minute there was trying to find inspiration, so I'd compare bands to different foods and alcohol. Um, <laughs> Not my finest moment. <laughs> you know, like what, 17 or I was, Yeah, I whatever. I was like 19, you know, it's 19. So, but um, I still feel like almost intimidated, um, you know, by a lot of record reviewers there because just you can never know enough, you know, like there's just so much to know about punk and there's so many bands and it's always expanding. And that's, what's so exciting about it, you know? And um I'm really happy that they still have the archive and yeah, totally. that they're continuing online because that's such an important resource for punks. Yeah. Yeah. You did a bunch of good interviews for them too. Yeah. More, more recently I got really into doing interviews. Nice. Right. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to live in the Bay area and be a punk in the Bay area for a long time you'd have to put an effort into not becoming involved in maximum. Yeah, right. You actually have well, to, you're, you're either, you either do that. there's where well, there's one of two things that you do. You either start a record label and book shows or you work for maximum rock and roll. Yeah. Or you do all, yeah, all of it. You do all of it and you just, and you just don't sleep, which is fine because who needs that? Yep. But you know, yeah. I mean, I guess I started volunteering at maximum in the, late nineties. Um, really shortly, I think after Tim Yo died, um, although I had, had definitely had an argument with him at one point on the phone before that, when I was like a feisty teenager over some comp that I was putting out on my crappy label that had not every band on it was, was really like sonically punk and they were really circling the wagons at that point. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I had a lot of respect for the guy. Absolutely. Anyway, there was a, so I started writing uh, and volunteering there a bit and helping, just helping out around. And then I started writing a column around, I think 2000 uh, called no. And then that went on for until I think 2008, almost on and off um, only intermittently worth reading. But you know, when, when it was good, it was pretty good. What do you think your, your voice was there? Like, what do you think your, your bent was? Your it was it changed over the over the period of time but it was mostly like wingnut politics uh-huh. a lot of wingnut politics and some like uh dirtbag bay area music scene kind of uh archaeology stuff you know just pretty pretty esoteric um pretty unfocused i mean i was a pretty i was in a pretty wild state of being um and then I stopped um when I went back to cal when i went back to college i actually went back and got my degree at Cal. Um, And then, uh, and then a a few years ago, I was uh, on Megan's second recommendation when I was getting my teaching credential. I, uh, I was running, kept running into punks who were other, who were teachers. It was while we were on tour um, tour. for Blood Muscles Bones, I think, right? Yeah. For Blood Muscles in 2014. Yeah. We were, um, we did, I think two months in the US and then two months in Europe. And it just kept on happening and we kept on meeting other teachers you know mm-hmm. who are doing like really interesting radical things you know yeah. yep yeah particularly radical like actual radical teaching practice and like different approaches and they're punks and i just started to realize like wow there's this vast reservoir of these punks i really wish i could learn from all them 
from how they deal with this kind of weird structure of teaching in these institutions and trying to teach this kind of bullshit that the state wants you to do. Um, how do they deal with this? And Meg's like, well, why don't you do a column about it? <laughs> you know, you used to do <laughs> that. used to have a column. <laughs> maybe you should maybe do that. And so on that suggestion, I actually talked to uh, Grace at Maximum and she uh, was like, yeah, it's a really good idea. So we got that going and um, that's that's been going for a few years now so and just cool. turned into a book this year. Are you are you um, still writing that now, John? Yes. Yeah, so right now I've been trying to round up some people doing uh, the online version. I mean, Maximum's still going online. Right. I got one. I got one good column a couple months back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a compound column from a couple different teachers in, in Chicago. Nice. Uh, trying to get a guy from Turkey right now to write something. Okay. He, but I think there's a, there's a lot going on in the world, and I'm I'm also super busy teaching, so it's been a little hard for me to be able so to where focus do you on teach? that. I teach at a, I teach at a high school in the East Bay and I'll just leave it okay. at that. Okay. Fair enough. Well, because <laughs> but, uh, I mean like Brett Stevens from Downcast is now the the super superintendent of Berkeley schools. Which really? is crazy. That's, wait, that's Brett's that's that's Brett's this that's the same Brett Stevens. Brent, yeah, from Downcast. Brett yeah. Stevens, yeah. That's really yeah. funny. So, you know, wow. like I feel like East Bay schools are sort of full of old punks and they are so full of old, and speaking of Miriam. that, I mean, like Miriam yeah. Stahl, I, I was a sub for her for a few years when I was like doing stuff in between full-time gigs and oh like, God. I would I love her I'm to like, death. And she you, also did the cover for the book. Can you imagine like having her as your teacher? Oh, I've seen it. I've seen how the kids love her. I mean, her kids love her. She's amazing. And Everybody loves her. Yeah, she's kidding awesome. me? <laughs> yeah, Miriam's amazing. It's not to love. I yeah, really, to love. like really, really. Great artist, great teacher. Yeah you know, really, really good teacher. But, um, yeah, she was, I interviewed, there's an interview with her in the book, um, uh, like a really extended interview that was also in the magazine, but I did a more extended version of it. There's interviews with like Martin Sarundigi. There's, uh, Oh God, there's so many people in that book. Nice. Uh, Eva Falarka, Alice bag. Yeah. Um, it's pretty, yeah, it's, it, it turned out really good. And, um, yeah. So thanks for the suggestion, Meg. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> good idea. Well, and good it, idea. It, and you, awesome. you all are friends with, with Brian yeah, Moss too, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. We know Brian he's Moss. A, Brian Moss. I know Brian Moss for so he's a long. Teacher. So is me. Yes. He is a teacher. He is. He, and he did a column a while yeah. back. He actually did a column on bridging the digital divide. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, Brian's, Brian's I've awesome. I've done the career day at his school like three or four times. Oh, wow. And okay. Awesome. Everything he says about the income levels and, you know, the the difficulty teaching in a school, a public school of that kind of, um, you know, with that low of funding is true. I I honestly don't know how they do it. I mean, and I don't know, obviously what you're not, you know, and you don't obviously need to disclose, but it's such an amazing profession and just so like, you know, for a lack of better terms, I guess, noble, but really just like amazing. Like it draws people in that are so incredibly smart and creative and just like wonderful human beings. And I just, you know, like anytime I've done it, it's been totally like my honor to do it. Like it's been that's like, I've really gotten more out of it than the kids for sure. Like they're kind of like, who is this yeah. old guy that's telling us about screen printing, you know? And I, but there's always a couple that are like, want to know about design work and how they can get their Cause they're, you know, they're artists and they want to know how they can get their art on shirts. And it's just like, it's incredibly like engaging and, um, and really rewarding to go in and do it. So. 
it's really cool that you do that. It's really important for kids to hear those perspectives. I mean, well, and I get to tell them too, it's okay. Like I don't have a college degree and I run a successful business and I do it in a way that meets my ethics, you know, and you're allowed to do that. Like that's okay. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, it's it's a crazy profession. It's really weird right now. That's for sure. You know, I feel really like, bad for the kids. I mean, cause I came of age right after nine 11, um, or, you know, that's when I was supposed to be like starting a career and stuff. I mean, obviously kind of dicked off, but you know, like, especially with what's going on right now with the COVID-19 it's like, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future and how it's going to be for kids to be able to, you know, have careers that, you know, the social promise that we've had. It's all going to change. Yeah, it's all going to change. They got to be. Everybody's got to be adaptive, but um, fight. Yeah, it's a. It's a definitely <laughs> yeah. a different world. Um, so you two are now parents. We are. How's that been? I mean, yeah. I see photos of you know. There's music happening, and you you all are writing, and there's lots of creativeness, and you're on you're on with us right now. So baby must be sleeping. He is. He is. For, for now. now. Yeah, for the moment. <laughs> He's a beautiful little, he's a beautiful little boy. Julian's a beautiful little boy. Yeah. Um, he, he he's a lot of fun. He's a lot he of fun. He has a good sense of humor. Um, he right now just wants to play with everything. Yep. Yeah. He's a little buddy. Yeah. How you old know? is he? Um, nine he, months. Nine months. Oh yep. my God. Fa- like six yeah. to nine months. Favorite, favorite development yeah. stages for me. It's a pretty fun <laughs> time. Not going to lie. Our, my, my, uh, yeah, our my, my, my younger son is two and a half and he's, he's a handful. <laughs> I've heard about that. Yeah. I've heard about these two, these uh-huh. two things. It will happen. He's lovely, but he's a, he's like the most beautiful boy and I'm just like madly in love with him. And, and my daughter is just an incredibly amazing big sister and just such a, like, she, she's so sensitive and just wonderful, but he is a handful right now. And this yeah, this is really that. stretching <laughs> stretching us in terms of learning about our temperaments and what we can handle and what we can't for sure but it's good you know I, I think you just get used to not sleeping yeah. like i think you just get used to yeah. it and you move on and you continue i'm just thinking about the two and a half thing too my, i was talking to my friend jared from uh from carp and big business the other week um and uh yeah, he has a two and a half year old. He has actually like his his little. It's similar to you. He's a little girl. I think is five now, and a little boy is like two and a half. And uh, yeah, he's he's a complicated creature. Yeah. It was interesting to like have this have the have the the conversation about that with other musicians that are staying really active because we've been like until this stupid virus kind of got in the way of you know some stuff for the moment. We've been um, doing a lot of practice with Joan and getting ready to play a bunch of other shows. Yeah. And Joan's really into yeah. the baby and the baby is super tolerant. We have like a neighbor who watches him while we practice. Nice. And, you know, like we're, we have, totally, we're very lucky. We have a good setup. Yeah. We have a good setup for it. Cause we practice downstairs in our house. We have like a converted uh, garage that we changed into like a recording studio and practice studio. Amazing. And uh, yeah, like soundproof area. And so like, we've been, uh, you know, honestly, we're totally just gearing ourselves up to be one of those like freaky Euro bands that like tours around with a with an old hey, I saw I saw Sonic Youth when their kids were young and they were oh, there wow. and they were hanging out and they were just like having, you know, 
the the meal before the show. You know, it was just not ju- it was just not a thing. They were just there. Yeah. That was yeah. part of the deal. If Sonic Youth was going to play, the kids were going to be there, especially during the summer. Well, yeah, and you know, we tried that out uh, when we played John's book release for when Teaching Resistance came out. It was in September. I think Julian was less than three months old. He was pretty young. <laughs> and we just, you know, brought him. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and when we played, we had our neighbor um, walk around outside with him and it was fine. And then, you know, after we played, he was, it was his bedtime. So I had yeah. to take him home. But, him you home. know, at this point, you know, we we actually were set to play on uh, March 27th at Gilman. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Um, that was going to be our first show with our new guitar player, Joan. Uh, with some new songs and stuff. And so obviously that didn't happen, but um, I think that Julian's getting to a new phase where, you know, we can be out late. <laughs> yeah, totally. And we're going to start virtual practicing with Joan anyway this week. I yeah, think I mean, so it, just and that, that development stage happens really fast. I mean, we were, we were supposed to open for built to spill at the cornerstone. Oh, wow. wow. Fifth, and I, I'm like, and then I was leaving for Hawaii, you know, like, Mm-hmm. So totally. but instead we're doing a ton of podcasts, me and Joshua. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we are Podcasting doing up. as many Making as we can. So, so listen, we're, yeah. we're really close to an hour here. Tell me what you're working on now. Um, like what's next? Obviously we're shelter in place right now, but hopefully that will be over relatively soon. It sounded hopeful today from the governor's office. So. Sure. I mean, uh, we, are also running a label. We run Nervous Intent Records. And so we were really excited because we have the new full length for um, Silent Era coming out. Mm -hmm. And um, so that, of course, is held up at the pressing plant. Um, And so that's their new LP, which will be coming out as soon as it's made. And they're great. They're a really good band. If you haven't heard them, you need to check them out. Good friends of ours um, who are... Uh, happen to be in a really amazing band cool. yeah and Excellent. um also let's see with street eaters you know we're doing a bunch of stuff with our new guitar player and have a bunch of new songs but we also had um a recording that we did uh i guess yeah i recorded it while we were pregnant mm-hmm. and um so that's coming out on a picture disc which is also held up at the plant right um but it, it also has this uh, cool cover that we did with Marissa Paternoster from Scream Females when we were on tour with them in 2017 yeah. on a Halloween night yeah. at the Pinhook in North Carolina. In Durham, yeah, yeah. Durham. We, we covered uh, Gang of Four's uh, Love Like Anthrax with her. Actually, did it for like half the tour, and yeah. we just got a really good recording of it. So we're, we're putting that out on this thing, and um, it's just a, it's going to be a nice little, nice little seven inch. It's got a, it's it's got guitar on it. It's the first three years recording with guitar on it, so that's it's kind true. of exciting. It's like when Dylan went electric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a decade since the band. Yeah, it's been kind of over a decade. We, we made the decision like yeah. after ten years, and we were like, "Well, I mean, we've been a band for ten years. We can do whatever the fuck yeah. we want." Well, <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's all awesome stuff, and hopefully, you'll be playing live again relatively soon. You know, when it's safe. Oh, we will. And um, I'm just, you know, I got to say, like, this was such an easy, I feel like this is just like a conversation amongst friends and which is the way we love it. Um, Oh, yeah. A couple of things that we've been doing, just I'm going to handle a little admin here, a little business. Uh, Everything that comes into our Patreon account between now and the, the beginning of this season and the end of 2020 
is being donated to Hospitality House in San Francisco, which is a um, amazing program that helps people with uh, mental health issues and substance abuse issues get stable housing. And they do a lot of their work through peer-based counseling and art programs. Um, they actually have both art and music studios that they use to help people sort of come out of themselves a bit. Um, so check them out. Uh, it's hospitalityhousesf.org. Um, and we highly encourage people to donate to them because they're really hurting, especially during this time. Um, and then the other thing is, is I just signed up for this wonderful thing called uh, Rate This Podcast. And so we would love it if people would go to ratethispodcast.com slash adultingwell and give us... What? What is yeah. that thing? Hey, man. I'm always working, Joshua. Always working. Okay. Um, so, and rate us. Um, if uh, if you want to check out Street Eaters, they are incredibly easy to find. You you two want to give me a couple of URLs? I know your band camp is super easy to find because I've been on it on and off all week. Streeteaters.bandcamp.com. Yeah. Are you guys saying that we're not mysterious? You're not mysterious. I mean, <laughs> your music is incredibly accessible. And um, damn it, we're never gonna get that cult. Ritual. We're not even on Spotify. <laughs> we're never gonna get that cult ritual cover off the ground. <laughs> One thing I didn't say, which I feel like I want to say, is I'm also a fan. I'm like I've, I've been a drummer since I was probably 15 years old. Played in a lot of bands over the years, from hardcore to indie rock. And Megan, your drumming is truly incredible you're a total ripper and john i don't know how you get all that sound out of that bass because it is remarkable i mean i heard actually today how, how you do bass. this but i don't know how to play bass yeah <laughs> no i mean it's just you you all have such a unique sound and you really have like meshed together in a way that's truly it's really creative and unique and i'm you know i'm super excited to hear the next the next stuff with the new guitar player it was a total wow. pleasure to see you open for Jawbreaker at the Fillmore and hear you as a three-piece, which I had not actually seen live before. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Thank well, you so thank much. you so much. It's good to talk to you guys. Yeah, this was really fun. We feel very honored to be asked to be a part of this. So thank yeah. you. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It was so awesome. And thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. <laughs>